You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. This is the last Sunday of our relationship series. This is the last one. You've made it through. I just told you we're doing baptism next week, so you have done it. Um, and today we're doing something that we've done before in the past when we did this back in 2017, which is we're going to interview a, a real life counselor, therapist. And so I have a set of questions, but you're going to get your own chance to ask questions as well. Uh, this is uh, Angie Marino. This is their Easter picture I stole off their Facebook without asking. <laughs> I figured if they post it, it's well, you know, we could share it. Uh, just to give you context of who this is, this is Angie, and this is her husband, Jason, who played drums this morning. They're two beautiful children, uh, Sophie and Theo. And so we're going to be talking with Angie, who's a, a, a licensed marriage family therapist, works. This is her full-time job. And so when you, oh, come on up. So I didn't invite you. Come on up. If you have any questions, which one do you do? Where do you want to sit? There? Okay, good. But I'm going to drop it up so I don't fall. Okay. If you have questions, feel free to send them. This is the church phone number, but sometimes it doesn't work well. And so if you want to send a question and you feel like it's not getting through, uh, this is my personal phone number. Feel free to text that as well, and you can have it forever. Um, anything you need. I don't, do I need this? Yeah, you have one next to you. And I got eight questions. I got eight questions. We're going to have a conversation, and then you get to add to it. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And I'm excited about this opportunity. So I'm going to ask you first to tell us about yourself. All the questions, you have them too, but they're oh, all back nice. there. If you Fancy. don't know, the TV is the same as this. So if <laughs> I look back there, I'm not ignoring you all. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Um, so I'm Angie Marino, and um, I actually grew up in Orville. I was born in the Bay Area, but I've lived here since I was three-ish. Is that good? If it happens again, I'll get you a new mic. Okay. Okay. Um, I, uh, I grew up here, I went to school um, in Orville, and then um, I went away for college uh, to Point Loma Nazarene University. But while I was there, realized that this is where my heart was with our community and saw Orville with such new eyes after being away um, and wanted to come back and serve here for however long God would have me. And then I fell in love with Jason Marino, and it took him about a year to realize that that was a good thing. <laughs> and then when he did, I convinced him to move back to Orville as well. So um, we have two kids, as you saw. Uh, Sophie is eight and a half, and Theo will be six next week. Um, actually, I would say that this is not my full-time job. Um, I, I think that my full-time job is uh, parenting. Um, I stay home with our kids most days. And I call uh, my therapy work my side hustle because uh, I do that two days a week. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Y yeah, but. We different high school, same age. Yeah, I knew Aaron. Uh, we met, in, Aaron and I met in junior high, and we were in the venture club together, yeah. the Christian club. I know, right? Um, and then I think, 
you know, we just kind of, uh, we were friends with some of the same friends. And actually, yeah. I think we maybe rode the same bus yeah, at some point. Yeah, we rode point. the same bus. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> one time we, uh, and how I know Jason well, is that one time we had a band in high school, a couple of us, and my, my drummer couldn't make it, which is also my wife. And we were like, and we were in a battle of the bands, and we were like, Jason, you don't know any of these songs. Will you play? And he was like, I guess. <laughs> and he did, and he did a great job. Yeah, he's good. Did we win? <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> You think I'd remember that? I remember stuff like that. <laughs> Question number two, how did you get into the counseling field? So um, my plan, I always loved working with teenagers, even when I was one. How weird is that? Um, but um, I always knew that I really loved working with youth. And so I was going to be a teacher, but I didn't know like what I wanted to teach. And I knew I loved like social stuff. So um, I was going to be a history teacher, you know, like that's that like interested me, interested me like the, you know, the social part of history. So, you know, I started out at Butte and I took a world civ class because that's where you start. And it was like I, I just thought it was terrible. I was terrible at it. And I was like, uh oh, what am I going to do? Um, and then I also had taken a psych class just because it interested me. But I thought that it would have to that it'd be too much school. And um, one of the teachers you know, told me, no, you know, you can, you can be a therapist and get a master's. So I ended up being a psych major. Um, but, um, I am not an A plus student. Um, I never was. I always tell people I'm proof that you can get a master's without knowing any math, knowing how to do any math without having to, without knowing how to spell. I'm a terrible speller, which is now proving true as my kids are in school. Um, how do you spell this, mom? Oh, I don't know. Ask don't Alexa. ask me. Um, and I have terrible handwriting. So you can get a master's if you, even if you can't do any of those things. Um, so I was a psych major at school. I went to Point Loma Nazarene University, but I, I, I had wanted to be a therapist, but I was so done. I mean, I am proof that these get degrees. Uh, they really do. And nobody ever asks you later, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I didn't, I was not ready to go into a master's program. So I ended up coming back to Orville and um, I got a job as a case manager working for Northern Valley Catholic Social Service. Um, they're very big in our community as far as social service goes. And I worked with teen parents. I was a home visitor in Butte County. My, most of my caseload was in Orville by choice. Um, and so I went in month and did monthly home visits with teen parents, helping connect them to resources for some of them. If they were on cash aid, I helped them, you know, made sure that they stayed in school so that they could keep their cash aid and help them uh, get help that they needed to raise their babies successfully. And just was kind of that connection point for them. I ended up also taking um, a role in juvenile hall. We had a small contract for a group there. And so there were a couple of us who would go into the hall and work primarily with the boys in the highest defense pods. And I, I loved it. I connected with them and I loved it so much that I went to um, the, the director of the hall and asked him to give us more money because I wanted to do it full time and he did. Um, and I got to do that full time and um, I was pregnant with Sophie and probably thinking that I was going to take a little bit of time off work But at the end of my time there the boys just kept asking me if I could be their therapist Like can't you be my counselor and I had to tell them no because I wasn't qualified and that broke my heart And so it was that moment where I had always said 
that if I needed to get a master's to do the work I had been called to do, I would do it. And so I did it. And it turns out that when you're doing the thing that you really love, you don't get D's anymore. <laughs> like, so I actually, I got all A, you have to get A's or high B's to stay in a master's program, which was really scary. Yeah. But I did it. And so now, and then um, did all the work to become licensed. I got licensed last summer. I love that you were like, I got my degree in this, and then I, but I, didn't, I couldn't do more school. <laughs> but then you went and did the thing to make sure you want to do it. Yes. I love it. And now I say, you know, I'll never, uh, I'm not about a doctorate unless Jesus himself comes back in the flesh, which <laughs> he could and tells me, go do this. Or just like a really strong dream or like a couple of them. I don't know. We'll see. Also, just echoing what she said, I also, I have a master's in theology and all my degrees, none of them has math, no <laughs> math, not good at spelling. <laughs> I echo that. You all are like, what? why did they let you be the thing that you are? But yes, that's, that's true. Here's my third question for you. And if you have any, feel free to send them anytime. Uh, what do you think keeps people from going to counseling, obstacles, boundaries, whatever it is? Yeah, I think a lot. Um, I think that there's a huge stigma against mental health that people are crazy, that you're crazy if you need help or that you can't do it on your own. That um, especially, unfortunately, especially in the church, you know, I think that there's this idea that if you have a close enough relationship with God, you shouldn't need anything else. And yet, you know, Jesus had these 12 screw-ups as disciples, and so I just can't believe that that's true. You know, he needed people, and if Jesus needs people, yeah. we need people, you know? So I think that there's this huge stigma. Um, I also don't think that the healthcare system makes it easy. Um, you know, it's like it's pretty easy to get to a doctor, and, you know, you pay your copay, whatever it is, um, even though I know health insurance is all over the map right now. But man, it is hard to get insurance to pay for counseling. And it's expensive. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, it's expensive. Um, and so that's really hard, you know? So I think that there's that barrier um, just because it's not very, you know, uh, recognized as helpful, even though it can be, even for physical ailments, I would say. Um, the other thing is that, you know, it's just really hard. Um, you know, I like to tell people that when I did the majority of my therapy work, my personal work, I almost canceled every time because it's hard work, yeah. you know, especially if you're having a good day, you know, nobody wants to be having a good day and going to their therapist to dig up all the stuff. Um, but I didn't because I knew my therapist was busy. And so thank God, you know, she would never been able to get me back in. So I didn't cancel and it was really good. You know, I also like to say, you know, it's the, I always tell people it's the bravest who end up on the couch. It's, it takes a lot of courage to come in and talk about stuff. It really does. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, just long-term stigma. You're, we can't figure out the buzz. We're going to get you a new That's mic. That's okay. Thanks, everyone, for your grace. So you're saying, like, long-term stigma. Also, it's just hard to access. Our system is just not designed. And it's just hard. Yeah. I told my story about counseling many times. It was this. I didn't think I needed to go. I was so it wasn't like, oh, it's hard. And it's like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. But let's just see, though, you know, like and then like 10 minutes in, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how did you do that? This guy had a Ph.D. He's like 
he was a he was uh he was advanced in age he was a senior citizen he'd been doing it a million years so he just was a, a jedi you know and i was like oh i do need this but like i might not have gone if i was like having being, you know if it was really hard but i think those are some great answers and great saying it's the bravest who end up on the couch yeah. is that what you said yeah man i love that uh, I, uh question number four you specialize in a thing called EFT. What is that? And how do you see it helping your clients? Yeah, so um, is this good? Yeah, okay. Um, EFT stands for Emotion Focused Therapy. And when I was here before, I talked about it more as like something that I was getting into. Now I would say I'm an EFT therapist. It follows the attachment theory, which is what I would have always said. I'm an attachment therapist. Um, and, uh, but let me tell you a little bit about EFT. Um, EFT was developed by a woman named Sue Johnson in the 80s. She's Canadian. She's lovely to listen to. If you ever YouTube her, she just has the most beautiful voice. Um, and uh, she, um, she went off attachment theory in that, you know, from cradle to grave, we need people. We need connection. Yeah. You know, there's lots of studies out there about babies, about, um, you know, just attachment that we really need each other. We really need each other. And so um, EFT is, I'm going to give you a little bit of cycling go here, so just bear with me. Um, EFT is a bottom-up approach versus top-down. So traditional counseling is a top-down approach, which means that if you change your thinking, your feelings will change. And therefore, you know, your behavior will change. EFT is more of a bottom-up approach that if you look at your emotions first, then your thinking and behavior changes with it. Um, and it is research-based. Um, they've done a lot of studies with EFT. One of the ones I love to tell people is they did this study where they had a person who was getting an MRI or like a brain scan and they were watching the threat of danger part in the brain. And they told them, we're going to give you a little shock. Okay, now we're not talking like a big, you know, jolt. We're talking, you know, like I always think of like a little nine volt battery, you know, when you touch it to your tongue. Yeah. Like we're just going to give you a little bit of a shock. And they did this in three different ways. They did it with a person all by themselves. And the threat of danger in the brain just lit up, right? Lit up. They did it with a stranger holding their hand. And the threat of danger was lower. And then they did it with a secure attachment figure holding their hand. And the threat of danger was practically gone. You know, we need each other. We need people. Whether that's, you know, a partner, romantic relationship, friends, parents, kids. You know, after hearing that study now, um, whenever we're in a hard situation, I make sure I'm touching you know, my husband or my, or my kids, you know, touching them skin to skin. So that, you know, so that again, just thinking about that threat of danger, that threat of danger can go down. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like with each other, if we're connected, we can do anything. We can face anything if we have someone on our side who's with us, who we feel connected to. Um, so I say, you know, I'm an EFT therapist. It started out as this is the kind of count, like couples work I did. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to do couples work. Mm -hmm. My parents um, did traditional couples counseling for my whole childhood off and on and still ended up separated and divorced. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, that sounds terrible, you know. But the reason why I'm doing couples work now is because this model makes so much more sense and it really is magical. 
Um, but now I would say that I am an, I'm an EFT therapist through and through. If you see me individually, I do this kind of work with you individually. Um, the way it, the reason it works so well in couples is because you aren't just connecting with me, you're connecting with your attachment figure in the room, and then you get to go home with that person. Yeah. Um, we also do it with uh, teenagers and parents. It's beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love doing this with teenagers and parents. You know, I have teenagers who come in and you know, if James is, is the parent and I'm the teenager, this is how they start in the session, which is normal, by the way. And they start like this. <laughs> And by the end, you know, as parents start to get vulnerable and share their hearts, I just see these teenagers turn their whole body like this to their parents. And it's just magical, you know. When, you know, so the whole theory is, is that in order to get connection, you have to be vulnerable. And vulnerable, is what that means is sharing feelings, uh, primary emotions, which are any, uh, any version of sad alone, hurt, or scared. And so, you know, those are all of our primary emotions, but most of us stay in secondary, which is anger, frustration, annoyance, irritation, any, and any, any version of those, right? But when you get vulnerable and drop down into your feelings, that's when you connect with each other. And so what we do is you know, we, first of all, it has to be safe. You know, I would never ask you to be vulnerable if it's not safe ever. So therefore you're not really very vulnerable with very many people. You may be transparent, talk about your vulnerability from like up here, but actually being in your emotion and sharing it with someone is saved for a very small group of people who are safe. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves with social media is when people jump on there and say, I'm going to be vulnerable right now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that is way too risky. You know, that's way too risky. Do not, you know, like vulnerability is saved for just a certain amount of safe people in your life. But it's like, we have to have it. Yeah. We have to have it in order to connect. So many things about what you said. I love that we need people. That's how you started, which yeah. is what we've been trying to say in our relationships here. You, you need people. You just need people. It doesn't have to be very many was how you ended up. Right. Right. But so if you're like, I just people, yeah, like just a few, just a few, yeah. just a few, <laughs> unless you're like me and then you're like everyone, let's hang out. <laughs> you can hang out with everybody. Just only be vulnerable with yeah. your safest. I've been doing EFT with my spouse for a number of years. And so she's talking about top down, bottom up. It is frustrating when you first go in and you're like, I need your help figuring out, you know, we we're having a fight over which way to put the toilet paper. And they're like, we're not talking about the fight. Don't even bring up the fight ever again. Like, no, they don't do that. But they're like, how do you, does it make you feel? And you're like, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Just tell her she's wrong. Yeah. I just yeah. need someone to be like, the original patent says it needs to go over. Um, That's true. But it's, it's a different way of talking. It is true, by the way. It's a different way of thinking uh, about, about counseling. You said thinking. I never thought about it like that. Starting with thoughts, and hopefully those will affect the emotions. I'm usually thinking like issue-based, right? Of like, we have this issue in our relationship, whatever, however big or small it is. And you're, you're like, we'll get to that. Right. Well, because the thing is, is that once you connect over whatever the, the hurt, sad, alone, or scared is, that issue works itself out. Yeah. 
It's like, I don't even need to, I mean, we can, it's like, sure, let's talk about the issue, but we don't usually ever have to yeah. because it's, it's been figured out because together we can figure anything out if we're yeah. together. Yeah. And your feelings about the issue is going to be more important than the resolution of the, I mean, that this all, is the, it is the, resolution. there are some yeah. issues. I'm sure you know, I yeah. don't want to minimize people's issues, but it no. was just a different way of thinking about it. For right. Me. Yeah. Right. No, no. The issues are so important. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the roadmap, you know, it helps us with the roadmap. Yeah. Which is why we talk about emotions here a lot too, which is, I feel like something we don't talk about in our culture often or try to minimize. Do you feel like that, that we're not great? sometimes oh absolutely um you know it's vulnerability is is considered weakness in our culture and so you know no one wants to be viewed as weak you know and so that's the thing that i'm i'm trying i'm hoping to help my people understand is that vulnerability is just being human and again you don't have to be vulnerable with everyone you know i wouldn't even suggest that you do it's just your safest people and building mm -hmm. that safety so that you have those relationships Man, I got 10 sermons brewing because it feels like this is part of Christianity, right? Of like Absolutely. that vulnerability of like when Jesus is like love, even your enemies, it's just such a vulnerable thing to like expose yourself yes. emotionally and be willing to like be hurt. You know? Yes, it's <laughs> like, a risk. It's I always risking. say that, yeah, you know, if you're going to be vulnerable with somebody, it's a risk. I'm not going to ever tell you it's not. Yeah. I love that. We get stuck right there all day. Number five. <laughs> So we are at church, so, and you love Jesus, so I'm just wa bridging the gap here. How has, you, how has your counseling, I mean, how has counseling or EFT, EFT shaped your relationship with Jesus? I wrote these questions, y'all. I don't know why that took me so long to read. It's good. <laughs> Anyways, you get um, the gist of what we're saying. I would say that Jesus is the ultimate healer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I never believe that it's, um, and you know, you guys are going to be like, yeah, right, Angie. But it's like, I never believe that it's me. You know, it's like Jesus has healed me. It wasn't a therapist. You know, it was like that mirror of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus created us for connection. And so this theory just follows that. Um, I, you know, it's EFT is a, is a box. It's taken, it's a lot of training. So a lot of the times in therapy, you can go as therapists, you can go to a training and then, you know, they kind of teach you how to do it in that day. This was a lot of time that I took because if it really is a box and you really, they really like you to stay on the roadmap because again, it's evidence-based yeah. and that gives you the best results. I feel like I can stay in the box and trust the process because I really believe that Jesus created the process. Yeah. It's not, you know, and I can tell myself that, um, you know, like, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm starting to get in it, cause again, you know, it's really easy to go back to the issue for any kind of, you know, whether you're working with individuals or couples, it's really easy to go back to the issue. But when we stick with the feelings, it always turns out better. Yeah. It always turns out better. And that's, you know, and I really believe that that's how the Lord created us. Um, it also is just like, because again, like I really try hard to stay, this has really taught me humility because I'm a human. I'm no different than y'all. You know, I have my own set of issues. I have my own problems. Um, you know, and it, and so it's not, I don't believe it's me. I believe God created me with some skills in order to help walk yeah. with people, especially because I love people. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I always, I mean, the amount of times I'm sitting in the therapy room going, Lord, Lord, 
Lord, not, you know, like, help me out here. Tell me what, what do they need? What do they need from me? You know, it's like, this is how God created us. And also, um, if you're looking for some literature on this, um, there is a, a book by Sue Johnson that she wrote specifically for Christians. It's called created for connection. And it's the whole EFT theory for Christians. Um, this guy, Kenny Sandiford, who came to her and said, you know, Christians really need their own book. Sue is, she would call herself a seeker of God. Um, and she's like, Kenny, I can't write a book for every religion and convince them (laughs) that they, you know, that EFT is the way. And he said, right. But for Christians, they really need to know that God is in this. And so she and Kenny worked together to write this book and they walk through um, why you know how EFT is totally Bible based? Yeah. Um, so you can pick that up. Um, especially read the first part. It might get a little confusing if you've never done the process after that. But it's good. It's a good start. Um, but um, yeah. And I also believe that it's just you know it's only by the grace of God that I, that any of us can do anything, right? And so that's how it's like. I believe it's only by the grace of God that I get to sit and do this important work that people would sit and trust me with their hardest, most vulnerable stuff. Absolutely. I was thinking as you were talking about um, one was, and this is a, a deeper question, but like, it's hard for me to express emotion is, and it's hard for me to see mo- emotion. Is yeah. it hard for you to see emotion or you're like, I'm a pro now? Um, I, I am. I. I don't know. I would. I can't say I'm a. You pro. can say that you're feels a pro. So weird. I, okay, I'll take that. Your I answer. do. She's I do pro. notice it a lot. Okay. I do. You know, my husband has to remind me, like you're a weirdo. You know, <laughs> like you're not. You're not normal. Not yeah. everybody notices this stuff. You experience. know, chill out. You can say experience. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I mean, truthfully though, sometimes it's hard for me in myself. Like I have a therapist, you know, like it's so interesting. I can have so much, I can sit on the couch and have so much insight with someone else. And yet it's hard for me to have my own insight. And that's just human, you know, that's just normal. Um, So sometimes I'm like, man, what is going on in me? And I have to go talk to somebody to figure it out too. Yeah, or Jason could tell you. Absolutely. He's got got some answers, I'm sure. Thank you for your answer with that and sharing your own journey. Yeah. I appreciate that. I do see a lot of, uh, of faith inside of this, which is why we're talking about it. Question number six. Uh, what are the most important things you want people to know about counseling or about what you do or whatever? Yeah. So I just love to reiterate that vulnerability is the key to connection. Um, you know, if you're having, you know, Gottman is fabulous. Um, I actually read that book in undergrad, The Seven Principles for Making a Marriage Work. Yeah. Um, but if you're going, man, I just can't bring myself to do those things. You know, like I want to do all these things with my spouse, but man, we just can't figure it out. Yeah. It's vulnerability that you're missing. It's that connection. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. That's, you know, those are the, the good things to do. It's now you have to come and feel it with each other. You know, vulnerability is the key to connection. And also not just in, you know, marriage relationships. Vulnerability is the key to connection in any relationship. And if you're having a hard time with that, that's normal. That's normal, you know. In our world, when we're hurt, our bodies go into survival mode. And they hold everything back and just try not to get hurt again. You know, God created our bodies to live. 
And so, you know, when, especially like when we're kids and we have trauma, stuff happens to us, your brain starts working on overdrive in order to just help you grow up just to live. And that can sometimes create some blocks in your brain as far as emotion goes, as far as letting other people in. That's okay. You know, now that you're in, you know, now that you're an adult or even for kids, of course, you know, we see kids too. Um, And kids actually do therapy so well because they don't have all the boxes that we have yet. Right. Um, But, you know, it's like you can, you can start to retrain your body that it's safe retrain your brain. It's okay. It's okay to take these risks. You know, you might not get hurt next time. You know, like it's okay. This person is safe. This person is safer than maybe somebody else who hurt you. You can take this risk and be vulnerable. Um, also I would say, um, you know, sit in the dark with people. Um, you know, the, the way we connect is to sit in the hard stuff and especially with kids. So this is the next book that I, the next thing it's actually, it's not a book, it's an audio it's, there is no written, um, form, but it's by Brene Brown, who I highly recommend. Um, she's a shame researcher, talks about shame and vulnerability or vulnerability is the key to shame, uh, to getting rid of shame. Um, in her book or in her audio version of gifts of imperfect parenting, she talks about like how, so much so do we want to solve our people who we love's problems. We want to turn the light on for them. It's okay. It's going to be okay. You know? Okay, yeah, that was really hard. But come on, we're going to do this because you want your kids and your people to be okay. But the thing that helps people be okay is sitting in the not okay with them. Sitting in the dark. Sitting in the hard before you turn the light on. Lights are important. We need hope, right? We need to know that it's going to be okay. But just to sit in the sadness, in the hurt, in the scared um, places with your people, with your kids, is is really what helps. I mean, I even remind myself of that because I want to turn the light on for people too. So when I'm in the counseling room, it's like, no, Angie, just sit for one more minute in this. Just sit in this for one more minute. It'll be okay. We won't die. You know, it'll be okay. And so like, yeah, that's really hard. And that's, you know, that's that empathy. Yeah. You could just say like the toilet paper goes over, but (laughs) we're going to sit with it. You know what I mean? Let's sit in that hurt, (laughs) that pain when your spouse doesn't do it right. You have to pull the toilet paper from the bottom. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, go ahead. You go. Uh, You're talking about sitting in pain. There's just a lot of uh, religious customs around this. I'm sure you know, but in Judaism, when someone has died, mm. their family and friends, they come to their house. It's called sitting Shiva. And you just sit for seven days. And you have to sit lower than the person who's grieving. And so you sit on the floor if they're on the couch. And you cannot speak unless they speak to you. And you do the chores for them. And I think it's just a beautiful grief custom that we've, even early Christians, when someone was dying, and oftentimes this happened at home, uh, people just showed up during that that dying process and just sat there and they brought their their knitting or whatever and they just sat mm-hmm. quiet brought some food over a nice casserole i don't know how much cheese they had but you know <laughs> to fill in all the gaps but you just sat in the hard thing you didn't try to turn the light on you just sat yeah. i love it i love what you're saying um so just two more things it's okay to ask for help it's okay to ask for help you don't have to go thing through things alone Sometimes it can be really helpful to have someone on the outside of a situation with an unbiased opinion to sit with. Um, Also, 
find a therapist who you can connect with. The biggest determination of success in therapy is a good relationship with your therapist. So if the first one you go to isn't the one, go somewhere else. Yeah. Which is one of our audience questions, our congregational questions. Uh, (laughs) Is there anything we should be looking for when choosing a counselor, MFT, whatever? Yes. Do you want me to answer that right now? Go for it. Yes. So, um, you know, find, find someone who it's easy for you to go to. Right. So, you know, if you're if you work in Chico, find somebody in Chico, you know, find it where it's easy. Find someone who can work with you as far as affordability goes, because all that is important. You know, like uh, what do you call it? Um, You know, the dates and details are important. You know, you need to make sure that it's you can be successful. Also, you know, find somebody, you know, it would be really important to me to see somebody who has a Christian worldview Um, for other people. That's not so important. Um, and that's, that's okay. Also, just so you know, if it's a professional counselor, um, and they are a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, they, you know, our job as counselors are to sit with people in their worldview. Yeah. Um, you know, but it might be important for some and it might not be for others. You know, it's a small town as y'all know. Um, so if it's okay with you that, you know, your therapist outside of the therapy office, then that's great. If it's not like Jason really prefers to see somebody who he is not going to see on a daily basis, who doesn't know him, who has not known him. And that is totally understandable as well. You know, for me, it was okay that I kind of knew who my therapist was and that they kind of knew a little bit about me. I liked that. So it just depends on what you prefer. Um, But absolutely, you know, find someone who you connect with. And if you don't connect go somewhere else. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I tell people that if I'm not the one help, let me help you find the one. Yeah. Excellent. We do that as a church too. If we're not the one we'll help, we'll yeah. help you. Yeah. Two more questions. This one's a little more uh, to our current situation uh, and it's a long one. Uh, quarantine question. Not only was there separation and disconnection, but also many people acted and reacted in ways that strained relationships, broke trust, makes future connection hard. Can you solve that for us that, <laughs> or sure, any sure, advice sure. on moving forward? Um, so first I would say, you know, you have to make sure it's safe again. You know, I mean, I would say, you know, pick up and start where you can, but only if it's safe, you know, I think, and this is, you know, I don't know if you guys are going to be shocked by this, but you know, I, I think that one of the things that, has been positive about the pandemic is that it has made it okay for some people to quit some stuff. Yeah. Right. Like it gave us this kind of break where we got to say, you know what? I don't know if whatever this is relationship activity, you know, thing I'm doing person I'm being with is good for me. And it kind of gave people a break to see if it is. So there might be some relationships where you go, you know what? it's okay. It's okay that we kind of aren't this way anymore. Um, and that might still be very sad. You know, it might be something that you have to mourn. Um, so I would say that if, you know, that it's okay to quit some stuff, um, that, but you know, if that's not where you are and you're looking to reconnect with people, I would say, right. If you're coming, yeah. Can't quit my kids. You can't quit your kids. Yeah, that's true. Or family, which can be really hard. And so I would say, you know, first of all, figure out what's safe for you. You know, if it's not safe for you to be vulnerable, don't be stay up here. 
that's okay. It may be safe at some point, you know, work to build safety. Let that go slow, you know, let it build, let the trust rebuild. That's okay. It doesn't have to come overnight. Um, You know, also sit in the hard, sit in the sadness of what the last year has been, you know, that's okay. And, you know, sometimes people won't be able to do that with you. That has to be okay too. You know, you kind of have to gauge that. And also I would say, you know, for those of the relationships that are, that you do feel like you need to continue, you know, and you talked about this, I think it was the first relationship sermon, uh, part of the series was conflict. You know, I always say, you know, you don't, nobody likes conflict. Okay. Even if you're good at it, right. (coughs) Enneagram eights. Um, (laughs) even if you're good at it, nobody likes conflict, right? Um, however, for the relationships that are most important to you, it's worth it. It's worth it to enter into conflict and talk about the hurt or the sadness or the alone or the scared. And so do that in the safe, worth it relationships. Yeah. How do you build safety? Is there? No, I'm so glad you asked that. So I would say, you know, when, especially, you know, when you're building safety and maybe if people don't share the same opinion as you, which has been really hard in this pandemic, right? There, we're very separated. There are lots of different opinions uh, about what's been going on. You know, I would say to, you know, find things that you agree on. Of course, if you're building that safety and building that trust, also you have to take the risk, you know, you have to step out and, and do the thing. Um, also be curious, you know, if you don't agree with something, be curious about it instead of condemning about it. Don't ask why, ask what, you know, a why question can be very, can put people on the defensive. But if you ask, you know, tell me more about that. Help me understand what you mean there. Tell, you know, I, I would really love to get it right. Help me get it right. Help me really hear what you're saying. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Last question. And we have had some text, but this is your final call. Uh, What are some small ways? Uh, I ask everyone that I've interviewed for church. And so this is kind of a broader question pulling us back out. Uh, For those of you seeing this question for the first time, what are some small ways that we can, as a church or as people in this church, impact our neighborhoods, become a healthier church family? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the first thing to do is just to be kind. Yeah. Be kind and expect imperfection. Yeah. You know, expect imperfection in yourself and then it'll be okay that everybody else is imperfect. Um, You know, extend grace, you know, look at your own judgments because even if you say you're not, you're not judgmental, you are, and that's okay. That's just being human. And so look at those judgments that you have in yourself. Um, You know, one of the things uh, a pastor once said, in a series about, you know, about churches, you know, extending to our neighbors was don't be weird, you know, (laughs) don't be weird. You know, Jesus didn't over spiritualize his ministry. You know, we don't need to either, you know, be kind, be a neighbor, you know, what that's what that looks like. Um, and love first, which is vulnerable, which is vulnerable. (laughs) Love first. Okay, I like that. We get different answers every time. And so you're like, kindness. Kindness goes a long way. And you're like, okay, okay. Um, A couple of the comments that have come through. One was uh, uh, more of a comment. It said, 
you talking about sitting with people in the darkness. It reminds them of Toy Story 3, and they're, they're going to spoil the whole movie for you. But they're getting ready to die, and they just hold hands. Yeah. They just hold hands on their way to doom and gloom. It's the, it might be the scariest kids movie I've ever seen <laughs> in the whole world. Yeah, I but love that. But they just hold, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, just like sit it. in the dark. Yeah. Um... Let me get back here. Do, do, do. Yeah, no Somebody said, and I don't know, I don't know the context. Why not go back to the hall and start again? And I came through when you were talking about, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you know how to answer this? Juvenile hall? Oh. Is that what they mean? Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Elaborate if you want to. I thought it was when you were talking about uh, teenagers and parents sitting. Oh, juvenile oh, yeah. hall. Great. You guys were on the same track. I was like, I don't know. I cannot wait to end up back in juvenile hall. I would love to be back there. Um, we have been raising small kids, and so um, we it's been really important for me to be home with them. And so usually county jobs, you know, that you can get some temp jobs, usually just the logistics of it, they're full time. And so, um, you know, it's really important to me that I am with our kids and, um, and in, uh, in the classrooms, well, hopefully next year. Um, I'll get to be back in the classroom volunteering in their classes and being yeah. with them there. Um, but I would love to end up back in the hall. I loved it there. And I mean, every time I work with teenagers, especially boys, um, although I love working with teenage girls too, um, but I'm just reminded of how much I love that age and how much hope there is yeah. there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. Can we give Angie a round of applause? Thank you so much. I got two slides to add some scripture to this, and then we will be on our way into our service. This one a little long. I hope it was meaningful to you. Uh, I had 100 more questions, but we'll wrap it up. If you have any more questions that you'd like to get to her, uh, you can send them to the number, and I'll pass them along, and we'll try to get some answers for you. But essentially what I wanted to say was 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins, our Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. And one of my favorite verses that really one of our, our church movement is built around is that for this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It doesn't necessarily say confess your sins to clergy or pastor. This is a command given to you for one another, but I'll also hear them if you want. But ultimately, what I wanted to say was that part of following Jesus it means that we are confessing people, that we are people that look inwards into our darkness. See, what worldly people do when they see problems in the world is they go, I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so glad that I don't have those same issues, and my issues don't seem as bad. But what Christians do, what people who follow Jesus do, is when they see problems in the world, they say, all of that brokenness and evil and rebelliousness and selfishness is in here too. Because as Jeremiah says, the prophet, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so we have all, all the problems that are in the world are present within us. And so really this is just an encouragement for you to be comfortable, to learn to be comfortable, to be someone who, who takes a peek at the inner darkness, at the brokenness, at the selfishness, at the sinfulness that's going on. And... Learn to be vulnerable enough to say it out loud. Counseling is not, uh, is not a commandment from Jesus, and so I am going to encourage you to do that. 
But sometimes confessing the darkness to people sitting next to you is hard. And so this is just one of those ways that we have in our culture that we've, we you know, have gro- grown in such a way that we have people that you can do this with, that love Jesus too. You can learn to be a confessing people with somebody, right? Uh, this is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then I'm going to summarize it and pray. They who are alone with their sin are utterly alone. But it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you. And that's what I would love, whether or not counseling is in your future or not, which I think I, I encourage it for everyone. I would tell the Pope he needs to go get counseling if uh, I tell everyone that it's been a valuable thing for me. But even if that's not in your future, what I would love for you to recognize is that you got some stuff. And it is a Jesus-like thing to be addressing that, to be looking at that, to be saying it out loud in such a way that you can experience healing. Here's my summary, and then praying. Uh, So with your head, I want you to know that other people, confessors, confidants, are God-ordained ways for us to heal and grow. And with your heart, I would love for you to learn to be honest, brutally honest and contrite, recognizing that we're all weak, but that you would be willing to grow and be healed. And with your hands, I would love for you to do the thing of confessing, confessing sins, brokenness, shortcomings to God, to others, to don't keep the dark stuff down. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you that we can learn, that we can hear from an expert, that we can uh, get a different perspective, that we can be encouraged to be people who say the hard stuff, to be vulnerable, to love, to take a peek at what's going on inside our hearts. Would you, Father, be with us now? to encourage us, to give us strength to do exactly that, to be people who don't ignore the, the, the sinfulness within us, the rebelliousness, the selfishness, but be people who can be brutally honest, honest with our shortcomings, honest with our weaknesses, that we can ultimately learn to, be, to grow, to be vulnerable with those that we need to be vulnerable with. Ultimately, you, ourselves, our close people. And we pray that now, as we come to a time of communion, that this would be spiritual nourishment for us to give us the energy to begin that process or to continue down that road. Would it be uh, the, the, the means of grace for us to be transformed and healed? Because, as Angie said, you are the great healer. We thank you. We give you praise. Say these things in Jesus' name. And Table Church, would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? which says, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.